Thank you. Two years. Has it really been that long? Y'all are crazy. <laughs> we came to that Christmas party and went, what did we do? Just kidding. Everyone's still in a food coma from Thursday? Thanksgiving? I'm just waking up. I can, so now I can say Merry Christmas, right? It's, it's, a, it's a socially acceptable to start listening to Christmas music. Still not talking to you, Don. You did that in the first service. How many of you broke that rule and listened to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Who made that rule anyway? It's not even a real rule. You can listen to Christmas music anytime you want. July? Go ahead. You're weird, but go ahead. <laughs> I don't mind. We had uh, our annual turkey bowl on Thursday. Nobody got hurt, praise God. Pastor Jay's team won because he was wearing his Superman beanie. Superman's team won. But nobody got hurt, and that's, that's the, real, the real winner. Well, we've been talking about life-changing conversations, and uh, I decided to, to go one more and make it a, a whole round number of eight. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, but we're going for eight. So I had to sit and think, what life-changing conversations uh, in the Bible could I preach about? And I thought, well, I could do, uh, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, and so there's a lot of life-changing conversations in that, but that's two books of the Bible, and I know you guys want to get out of here for lunch, so I decided, no, that's too long. And then I thought... Um, what about the, the convo between uh, Radshak and Benny and King Nebuchadnezzar? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have a shorter name. I apparently stole that from VeggieTales, but anyway, it's a good conversation. Um, but then I realized uh, all the life-changing conversations we've been doing throughout these series are, are conversations with Jesus, and he's not in that one. So... He's in the furnace, but he doesn't talk. So anyway, uh, didn't do that. And so I started looking at the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are pretty full of conversations with Jesus. So that would be a good place to look. And I uh, was trying to find a cool one uh, that Pastor Jay hadn't used up already. <laughs> and uh, nothing was just, nothing was jumping out at me uh, to, to write a sermon about. Y'all think you're going to get out of here early. You're not. <laughs> and then I thought, hey, Jesus had conversations outside of the Gospels, but still in Scripture. We're not venturing into the, the crazy uh, stuff. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to chapter 9 in the book of Acts. If you have your smart devices, you can click or tap, tap Acts chapter 9. Acts is uh, right after those Gospels in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Acts chapter 9. This is the story of Saul, who is later called Paul, but in this, at this point he's Saul. Uh, the story of Saul meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I just pray that um, we can learn something from Saul's experience. Amen.
Did it again. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a little joke with the worship team. Apparently, every time I finish praying, I, you know, like you're on a football team, baseball team, whatever, and you're like, ready, break. Let's go. We're done praying. Short and sweet. Let's move. Sorry. So, <clears throat> before this story that we're going to read here in Acts, all we know about Saul is that he is persecuting Christians or believers of the way, as it's called uh, at this point. They weren't called Christians yet. Uh, uh, Saul was at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was a church leader, um, and he's the first recorded uh, Christian martyr. Uh, He was killed for his faith. Saul is there. Uh, He watched over everyone's clothes and coats while they they stoned Stephen. And Saul also confirms that he is indeed dead. How would you like that job? Everyone's pumped up. Hey, we're going to make an example of this Stephen guy. Let's get some rocks. We're going to go stone him to death. And by the way, Saul, hold my coat. (laughs) You're on coat duty. I know you shouldn't be pumped up about a stoning. I don't, never seen one, don't want to. Um, But Saul is going around persecuting Christians. uh, And he was there at the stoning of Stephen. Which maybe I just like to talk about it because my older brother's name is Stephen. <laughs> I don't want to kill you. <laughs> Sometimes I do. Okay, I'm, if I'm being honest, <laughs> we're brothers. We fight. He's a good guy. You're stuck on coat duty, Saul. And reading later about Saul's zeal for wanting to kill Christians, I think he was probably a little bummed about that. But just a a few verses after the stoning of Stephen, uh, the Bible mentions that Saul begins to destroy the church by going house to house and dragging men and women uh, off to prison for their faith. We live in a country where persecution uh, is very different now than it was then, but unfortunately that's not true um, all around the world. There are many countries where it is illegal to be a believer in Jesus Christ. The most recent incident that comes to mind for me is uh, the Taliban taking over Afghanistan again. They are putting people to death who converted to Christianity. Um, there was an estimated eight to 12,000 Christians in the country before that. That doesn't sound like a lot to me, but I thought maybe Afghanistan's not a super populated country. It is uh, 39 million people So when you look at 12,000 Christians, that's less than a percent of the population. And this is before. Um, Now that the Taliban has started persecuting Christians, uh, I couldn't find, you know, according to the internet, we don't know how many Christians are left because they either, um, you know, they fled, um, they died, or honestly, they're just hiding. um, Because if they're found out, they're going to come kill them. Um, so we just we pray that number goes up. But that's all we know about Saul at this point. Okay, he persecuted anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. He's running around taking people to jail as many as possible, and he oversaw the death of at least one believer. So here in chapter nine, we get to see what happens to Saul when he meets Jesus himself. So Ch- Acts chapter nine. Hopefully you're there by now. Just starting right in verse 1. Meanwhile, 
Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul is still up to his old shenanigans at this point. He's still persecuting believers, both men and women, and he's throwing them in jail. And he wants to go to Damascus to get more believers arrested. Now, that's not a short hop, skip, and a jump away. Jerusalem to Damascus is about 130 miles. So, time out. Saul is so adamant in his quest to persecute believers that he's willing to hike it 130 miles to go get more. I know some of us are so lazy, we don't even want to get off the couch to go get the remote. It's too far away. <laughs> He's willing to hike it 130 miles. That's like going from here in Idaho Falls to Burley. Okay? Several days journey is what he's willing to do uh, to go get more Christians. Okay, game on. In verse 3, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Saul is almost to his destination. He can see the city of Damascus. Have you ever gone on a trip? And you realize you forgot something and you have to turn around? Just me. <laughs> Any of these sound familiar? Uh, honey, did you turn off the stove? Why is it always the stove that we leave on? Leave the stove on. I hear this one a lot because I have kids. Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. We just left five minutes ago and I told you to go before we leave. Pretty sure we should have taken that left turn in Albuquerque. Any of those sound familiar? That last one's Bugs Bunny, by the way. I, was, I don't know how I wrote that down, and I was thinking, where have I heard that before? That's like an actual saying, and yeah, it's Looney Tunes. So, Saul is near Damascus, and his trip gets interrupted. A light from heaven flashes around him, and he falls to the ground. <clears throat> now, don't forget that Saul is a religious person. Saul is a Jew. And so, if a bright light from above appears and a voice calls out his name, he may have understood that to be God himself. He's a religious person. This is probably what his brain was thinking when it happened. It is odd, although I think it's actually quite ironic, that he addresses the voice as Lord. Here he is. Right? Because while he thinks he's talking to God, which he is, he just referred to Jesus as Lord. And he's persecuting the followers of Jesus. Jesus says to Saul, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Not to be confused with the Jesus down the street. This is Jesus who is God. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And that's it. That's Jesus' conversation with Saul. The end. Let's close in prayer. 
You want to see Saul's reaction? He has two choices at this point. He can continue with his original plan, go into Damascus, arrest all of the believers and throw them into prison, or now he can go into the city and wait until he is told what you must do. Get up and wait, right? (laughs) One thing that probably helps Saul make that choice is that he is now blind, as we're about to read. Regardless of whether he believes that was really Jesus or not, he cannot deny the fact that he can no longer see after this encounter. So some say it's just because the light was so bright, uh, but Saul's companions weren't blinded. So that's not it. But I love how Saul is being called out by God to do something really amazing that honestly it affects all of us even to this day. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out, Saul. Spoilers for those of you who don't know what happens after this story, but Saul, who later goes by Paul, Paul the Apostle, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament. This is the Paul who goes on several missionary trips to all sorts of cities and towns and spreads the gospel across the world, basically. God is calling Saul long before Saul has done anything good for the Lord. God is calling Saul to reach nations. The Great Commission at the beginning of the book of Acts says that they will go to Judea, to Samaria, and to, shout it out if you know it, the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus is calling Saul to do. Saul doesn't know that yet. The book of Acts hasn't quite been written. And yet, God is calling Saul out. He's calling Saul out of bitterness, out of religiosity. He's calling him out of hatred, out of legalism, into something greater. God is calling Saul into forgiveness and grace and love. But Saul hasn't done any of those things yet. In fact, he's doing quite the opposite. (laughs) And yet, God is calling Saul. See, God is calling and chasing after you. It doesn't matter what you've done, how you're even living right now in this moment. God wants you. God wants you long before you make a commitment to him, long before you came to church today, before you even knew who he was. God wants you. God loves you. Let's keep going. In verse 7, it says, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. And he did not eat or drink anything. Makes me thirsty. Saul is blind. And he has to be led by the hand into Damascus. Kind of a funny picture to think about. He has to be led by the hand. Like a little kid. He's got to be led by the hand into Damascus. 
He's a new believer now. He's like a little kid. Now, he, Saul has a, a Jewish religious background, but he has to start all over like a little kid. He's blind for three days, and he decides to fast during that time. In three days, it's just kind of interesting to draw the parallel that Jesus was dead for three days. I don't know if Saul looked back and, and saw that and thought it was maybe a bit ironic. God has a sense of humor, by the way. But he's also fasting for this time. He's told to go into the city and just await further instruction. That's, that's all he's told. But he does fast during that waiting, and no one told him to do that. Maybe he decided to fast out of reverence for God. Um, he may have decided to fast to try and escape this punishment of being blind. But I also think he had three days to just soak in the fact that his understanding of his religion and his personal idea of what the Messiah should look like had been wrong. And that the system of legal righteousness that he perpetuated was false. So for three days, he's thinking about this and fasting. Now in verse 10, this is, this is one of my favorite verses. It gets looked over a little bit, uh, but, but pay attention. Verse 10 says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. Okay, are you ready? This is a bonus conversation with Jesus. <laughs> in the town that Saul is on his way to, uh, to persecute and throw believers in jail is a disciple named Ananias. He gets to have a conversation with Jesus too. And perhaps one of the most important conversations that affect the fate of Christianity uh, and it's spread throughout the entire world. So pay attention here, because this is a real life-changing conversation I want to focus on. Because Ananias is one of those unsung heroes of the Bible. We don't get much about him. In fact, this is the only time this Ananias is mentioned. There's more than one. This Ananias is only mentioned here, and again later in Acts when Paul is recount, re, retelling this story of what happened to him. Beyond that, we don't know, but thank God for Ananias, as you're about to find out. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. See what God's doing there? You know another Judas in the Bible? He betrayed Jesus, you know. Now he's using some guy named Judas. He's got a sense of humor. It's pretty funny. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Remember how at the beginning of my message I talked about what we already know about Saul? Before we started reading this story in chapter 9, uh, here in the book of Acts, we knew Saul was a guy who was persecuting believers. That's all Ananias knows about Saul, too, at this point. We're going to get to Ananias' response, but I want you to put yourself in his shoes for just a second. Jesus comes to you and tells you to go to this house where Saul from Tarsus is staying. Okay, so there's no denying this is the Saul 
from Tarsus, the Saul who's going around persecuting Christians, not some other Saul. It's, it's the guy who we're a little afraid of. He specifically says where he's from, so there's no confusion. Jesus wants you to go and restore his sight because he's blind. Well, hey, uh, Jesus, if he's blind, uh, he can't see anyone and he can't arrest anyone, right? This might be a good thing for us believers. <laughs> he can't arrest who he can't see. I mean, come on, God, let him stay blind. This is a huge relief to us believers. This is what Ananias says. Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. We get it, right? Ananias is just a little hesitant to go to this guy who has quite the reputation. Saying, come on, God, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, don't you know the terrible things he has done? And you want me to go heal him? Can't we just let this one go? <laughs> Some of us have had this exact same conversation with God. You feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go share the love of Christ with a friend or a coworker or a homeless guy on the side of the road. One of my daughters just experienced this a few weeks ago. My kids go to a public school, and so not all of their friends are Christians. Um, which is really, actually, it's, uh, it's upsetting to them. Uh, my kids, are they want their friends to know who Jesus is, which just makes me feel so happy as a parent. My kids care that their friends don't know who Jesus is, uh, and it just it breaks their hearts. They want to do something about it uh, and share Jesus, share how awesome Jesus is with their friends. So one day, just a few, two, three weeks ago, my oldest, Clara, comes home saying she has had the best day ever. Okay, quick time out. I live with four women. <laughs> I'm going to exclude my wife from what I'm about to say. Please forgive me, because my wife doesn't do this, but I have three daughters, okay? My three daughters... I, I grew up with my brother. I, all I know are boys, so I'm, I'm lost here in a sea of, of three daughters. <clears throat> they can go from the best day ever to the worst day ever and back to the best day ever within like 10 minutes. I don't know what to do with that other than to ride the roller coaster out with them, okay? <laughs> so I hear it a lot. Best day ever, worst day ever, you know, they lost a toy. It's the worst day ever. Worst day ever. So Clara comes home saying she has had the best day ever. And when I asked her why, she said she had talked to her friends about Jesus at school and that they didn't kick her out of her little gang. It's not a real gang. I just call them that because they're like a gang. Uh, <laughs> she has a little circle of friends Right? And they didn't kick her out of their little circle of friends. Praise God that they listened to her. They still want to be friends with her. She is planting seeds in 10 year old kids 
And we pray, we, we pray that those will blossom into a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. So Ananias is hesitant. But fortunate for us, he listens and does God's will. In verse uh, 15, in 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. Don't you love that command from God? Go. Go to Idaho Falls two years ago. Where? I had to look it up on a map, I'll be honest. Go. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. There is so much packed into those two verses. Saul is Jesus' chosen instrument to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to basically everyone is what he's saying. For those of us who are believers in the room or watching online, do you feel like God, you are God's chosen instrument? I know there are times I don't feel useful to God. And yet, he has chosen me to do things for his glory that at the time, sometimes I don't even realize I'm spreading the love of God. An instrument, or in some other translations it says vessel, an instrument or a vessel has a purpose, right? It has a function, something it is supposed to do. God has a purpose for each and every person in this room and watching online. Both believers as well as unbelievers, right? Even if you don't believe in God yet, he has a purpose for you just like he already had a plan and a purpose for Saul. Saul was not following Jesus when God called him out. I'm calling you out. Don't ever consider yourself useless for God. The Lord tells Ananias that Saul will proclaim Jesus' name to Gentiles, their kings, and the people of Israel. So, uh, Gentiles are just simply anyone who is not Jewish. Okay? I'm a Gentile. So, in the whole world, you could say that there are Jews and non-Jews. That would count the whole population, right? So, Jews and Gentiles. He's basically saying, I'm going to have you preach to everyone, right? And their kings. Uh, this is a prophetic word given to Ananias. If you skip ahead in the Bible, uh, spoilers, <laughs> you will find that this does indeed come true. Saul is given an audience with some governors of the land. Now, in that time, governors had, they weren't kings uh, they didn't have the power of a king, but they had a lot more power. Don't think governor like we have, a gov have governors of our states. These guys had a lot of power, okay? A lot of power. He's given audience with two governors that we know of, Felix and Festus, as well as he's given an audience with King Agrippa the second, almost said third, second. Uh, and when he appeals to Caesar and he's taken to Rome, we don't have an, an account of this, um, but we, we can presume that he stood before Emperor Nero in Rome, which is basically the king of the world at this point. 
Uh, some historians say he actually had two audiences with Emperor Nero. Jesus also mentions that Saul will suffer, which is also prophetic if you skip ahead uh, and check that out. You'll find it's quite true. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, um, Saul, which at that point is called Paul, he does uh, go by Paul uh, later. In 2 Corinthians, he describes all the things he has gone through, all the sufferings he has had to endure. He talks about how he is uh, whipped uh, 39 lashes on five different occasions. This isn't just a regular whip. This has multiple tails, or I don't know what you call them. I don't own a whip. Pieces of glass and thorns and things to rip flesh out when they hit back. They believed that if you got hit 40 times with it, you'd die. So they did 39. Which doesn't make any sense to me. But five different occasions, he is given the, the 40 minus 1, 39 lashes. He's beaten with rods three times. And he's stoned to death uh, stoned almost to death once. Remember how we talked about he was there at the stoning of Stephen? He was there to confirm Stephen was dead. Again, I've never seen a stoning. I don't want to. But apparently you can throw a lot of rocks at people and they can still survive. So Saul was there to confirm the stoning is over, Stephen is dead. Saul gets stoned himself and somehow survives. Apparently there was no one there to confirm, so he got away. I can't imagine what that feels like. And that's just the physical sufferings of Saul. It's not counting all the times he's threatened, hungry, weak, shipwrecked. The list goes on. He definitely suffered for the name of Jesus. Let's finish the story here. In, in verse 17 and 18, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. Ananias, despite his hesitancy, does what the Lord tells him to do. And Saul is healed. And I love, I love that Ananias calls him Brother Saul right away. He hasn't even met this guy yet. Remember the reputation he has? What Ananias knows about Saul up until this point? Jesus says, I'm calling you out, Saul. I'm calling Saul out, Ananias. And Ananias goes, all right. Then he's part of the family. Brother Saul. Ananias is also the first to vouch for Saul. If you um, think about it, you can probably imagine that the uh, believers didn't want to take Saul in right away, <laughs> right? Due to his reputation of persecution, he, they might have thought he was trying to, you know, go undercover and find out where more of them live or something. No, here is Ananias calling him brother right away. And Saul is healed of his blindness, and then he's baptized. He does not hesitate to follow Jesus after his life-changing conversation on the road. It's amazing when you think about everything that Saul goes on to do. 
I know that I am thankful as a believer uh, that Saul, who becomes Paul, spread the gospel uh, as much and as far as he did. So that's the story of Saul and Ananias. It's pretty short, um, but a huge life-changing conversation with Jesus. That conversation sparked something in one man that helped change the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ being spread all the way from Jerusalem to the capital center of the world at the time in Rome and many, many places in between. If you want to read about all the places Paul went along the way, I encourage you to read the New Testament. But what about us, though? Have you ever had a life-changing conversation about Jesus? Or more importantly, with Jesus? I'm going to invite you to have one this morning in just a moment, but I want you to think back to life-changing conversations in your life. I can think of a few. I've had all week to think about it. <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is with my wife, Rachel. We had a life-changing conversation. We were walking along one day. I just threw a question out there to see if she'd throw it back. That could have gone a lot differently. But it's a life-changing conversation. I asked her to marry me. That's where I'm going with this. <clears throat> it's a life-changing conversation because about Jesus because she makes me a better person. She makes me a better Christian. <laughs> she makes me a better father. I didn't have kids before her. I'm just saying she makes me a better father now. I think of several life-changing conversations I had with my parents. There's too many to tell, but they were always telling me what to do and how to be a decent human being. I think of a pastor's wife named Brenda. When I was in middle school, she invited me to play guitar on the worship team at church. That was a life-changing conversation for sure. For those of you who don't know, I'm also the worship pastor here at the church, so blame her. <laughs> or a youth leader named Carrie. I had many life-changing conversations about Jesus with her throughout high school. I don't think I'd be standing in a church if it weren't for her, and I also say that I don't know if I'd be standing. She taught us how to be more like Christ and to love people more than ourselves. I can remember trying to pick the right college uh, to go into ministry. Um, and I wasn't even going to the school yet. I was just, you know how you visit a college first? I was visiting a college and I had a conversation with Professor Mike Thompson. And he encouraged me to go into the ministry and to come to his school. I think of the life-changing conversation with the first pastor I worked under, Pastor Charlie, my first ministry job. That was pretty life-changing and eye-opening. I thought of the last church I was at before I came here. And Pastor Aaron uh, was the associate pastor there who encouraged me to not give up on God's plan, to stay on God's plan, to not veer to the left or to the right, to stay on God's plan. And of course, a life-changing conversation with Pastor Jay, calling me out of the Sodom and Gomorrah that is the West Coast, the life-changing conversation 
with him and deciding to pack up my entire family and move to the cold, desolate desert that is Idaho. (laughs) Two years ago, I did not think about that when I was writing this, but it has been two years. It's been a good two years. I was reminiscing this past week of all these life-changing conversations and just praying thanks to God for all these people who I've crossed paths with. Some of them I still talk to. Some of them I've kind of lost uh, connection with. But it's truly amazing when you think about the people you've come across, uh, how they've affected you, and how you ended up here. Right now, you're in church. Or you're watching online. (laughs) On this cold Sunday morning, and you're sitting in that exact seat, I tell you all these stories to hopefully just jog your memory a little, um, help you remember some of the life-changing conversations you've had in your life with people who have talked to you about Jesus. The most important life-changing conversations I've had, though, are with God. I remember asking Jesus to come into my heart, cleanse me of my sins. That was a pretty important one. And to help me to live for him, because I needed help. I remember praying to God about who to marry, who to stay away from. I have had life-changing conversations with God about what jobs to take, where to live, how to raise my kids. He always has the answer. He's that good of a God. What about life-changing conversations with Jesus today? Now, this is for anyone and everyone. Everyone here... Everyone watching online can have a conversation with Jesus. You don't even need to be a believer to start a conversation with God. Prayer is simply communication with God. One one, uh, Bible dictionary put it this way, and I loved this. It says, prayer is fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, expressed in adoration, thanksgiving, intercession, through which believers draw near to God and learn more of His will for their lives. I love two parts of that. That it is fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. We just took communion this morning. Never forget the sacrifice He made on the cross that Jesus made for the forgiveness of sins because that is what allows us direct access to God. Also, the part about we can learn more of His will for our lives. Anyone ever get stuck in life and not sure what to do? (laughs) My hands up. Not sure what to do, where to go, who to date, what career to pursue. Talk to God about it. Prayer is a powerful thing. So I know some people say, well, God doesn't care about that stuff. God doesn't care about who I date. God doesn't care about where I work or where I live. He does. If it matters to you, it matters to God. I know this from personal experience. God loves you, and he cares about you. So if it matters to you, stuff that you think is too small for him. He wants to talk to you. 
So start a life-changing conversation about whatever might be going uh, might be going through, you might be going through today, right now. The most important life-changing conversation you can have, though, is asking him to come into your life, admitting you're a sinner, and declaring Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the most important life-changing conversation And you don't have to understand everything about God or Jesus to have that conversation. I don't understand everything about God. But you can still have that conversation. Start that conversation. Even if you're not a believer, like Saul. God called him out long before he did anything good. I'm calling you out. Welcome to, or if you want to just grab a cup of coffee and hang out.